What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a a, a really interesting show for you today. Uh, it's, we're going to do, we're going to answer some of your, I was going to say reader questions or listener questions. In this case, we're going to we're going to do a little of that. But we have a a special guest today who is, you know, in 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 one way, it's sort of funny to call him a special guest because he's one of the uh, longest, probably the longest uh, serving member of the TPM staff. But David Kurtz, who is the managing editor of TPM, uh, runs our Washington, D.C. office, um, which we have just to for people who aren't kind of familiar with with our whole setup here at TPM. Our main office is in New York and we have a second office in D.C., which is the smaller of the two offices, but still a substantial one. And uh, David Kurtz is based in that office. And uh, this week, he's spending a couple days in New York. So we're going to kind of get us all together and sort of talk talk the news and talk TPM. But uh, before, well, just to, and uh, David Tainter, we, we have sort of a, 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 <laughs> hey, a surfeit of, of, of uh, you're David's. Out, you're outnumbered here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it's interesting because I, you know, uh, David uh, Kurtz is a central part of the site, but a lot of people who who know TPM and have been reading it forever, they know, they see your editor's blog posts occasionally, but you're not as visible as as your internal presence in the site is. You can say something, David. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. All it's right. good to be here. Absolutely. The inner sanctum of the TPM podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, let's, first of all, let, let's do some quick business here. I'm going to, I'm going to discuss our sponsor, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Uh, born in Brooklyn and brewed in the Bronx, Grady's is New York's favorite cold brew, but you can have it delivered to your door no matter where you live. Their cold brew kit includes everything you need to create smooth, velvety cold brew at home. All you have to do is add waters. No French press, no mess, no baristas. That's the best part. No baristas. I don't know. This is a very anti-barista ad copy. You save money, too. You get 36 cups of gourmet cold brew for only 30 bucks. That's less than a buck a cup. And shipping's free. So you're ready to give it a swirl. Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. DK, have you been able to sample the, the Grady's while you've been here? Oh, we, we are nothing but Grady's this week. <laughs> Do you guys have Grady's down in DC? I remember there was, the, there was a kind of a mini like rebellion of, of the DC office didn't have Grady's, and then like Joe was going to figure it out, but that yeah, happened. It has arrived, and okay, we're cool. doing it now, yeah. So nice. you have like the boxes? We have the bags, which uh, you, right. you have to brew yourself. Brew your, so brew your own. Yeah. All right. Well, we're keeping, keeping the DC office honest. Right. Good. There's, there's several different uh, varieties of... Of Grady's, we have here in in New York. We have the boxes, which is sort of, you know, that kind of thing when you're like, uh, 
I guess like when maybe when you're in college, you know, you're getting the you box know, wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind yeah. of going for bulk. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? Right. They have they have uh, box Grady's, which is actually. But but, uh, but the quality is still there. We, oh yeah, we, we yeah. Shouldn't, we shouldn't compare. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, right. no, nothing like the kind of Thunderbird <laughs> wine you were getting drunk on in college. No, it's good stuff, but it's a little. But especially since here in New York. We, you know, we consume Grady's cold brew ice coffee at like, at like obscene volumes. Yeah. We have the boxes because like we'd have like a hundred bottles or something like that. <laughs> it's and true. it's just too much. Yeah. But for you normal people, like the bottles, are to, you know, can totally, uh, totally cover you. So, okay. So we're going to, we're going to, before we get started here, we're going to, we are going to uh, answer a few questions. Let me remind you, we love uh, to get your questions here on the Josh Marshall podcast, we are going to answer a few of them in every episode. The number to call is 646-868-8393. That's 646-868-8393. So that's basically a voicemail box. So when you call, uh, call up, uh, let us know your first name, where you're from, just so we can get a, a certain feel for who you are. You don't have to tell us more than that. And then ask your question. Keep it concise because we're going to play it before we answer it. So, you know, keep it keep it trim. Um, you ready for the first one? Yeah, ready. So, but, but remember, let me give you the, before we start, let me give the number one more time. 646-868-8393. Okay, let's do this. All right, here we go. Hey, Josh, this is Elon from Merlin. What would you think about setting up a simple Google form that members of the TPM audience could use to report signs of internet influence operations, weird things happening in local elections offices, etc.? I'd hate to see Dems miss taking control of the House and then find out that signs of election meddling were hidden in plain sight, like in 2016. I'm sure lots of us would love to help be your eyes and ears this time around, if there's some way we could do that. Thanks a lot. Thanks for everything you do. So this is a great question, and I have sort of like a kind of a two-tiered answer for it. Um, we may set up a form like that. I, I just I just heard the, this question for the first time a few minutes ago. So we're going to talk about that with our with our tech and design staff. But the bigger message is we already do this, and we, we clearly don't we don't share this message widely enough. Our TPM email has been a mainstay of our editorial operation for years. Uh, I, I guess more than a decade, probably. Yeah, now. more than I was going to say decades, <laughs> not quite decades, but a long, long time. And I can't emphasize enough, this isn't just like a comment line that kind of like if you've got something you want to, you know, you can a place you can like send in a contact email. We read these emails through the day, every day, they are a key part of our editorial process in a million different ways. Some of it is just, you know, you want to you want to get a sense of what the audience is thinking and what they're interested in. But we use that to get tips. We, we read that stuff. We get all sorts of stories that start with tips from readers. And to be clear, you know, sometimes a tip is that you work somewhere and you've got some inside information that you want to share with us. That's fantastic. But those are not the only kinds of tips. Sometimes it's just there's an article in your local paper that no one else knows about. Send it to us. We want to we hear it because that's – our readers, our relationship with our readers is, is one of our – the closeness of our relationship with our readers is one of our key advantages as a website. Very few sites – are that plugged in and vice versa with their readers. So the key is, if there's something that you see that we should know about, 
Go to the site. There's there's up on up on the uh, uh, the top of the site. There's a link that I think now it says something like comments and tips. Click there. It's an email address. It's very you know old school. No special form or anything, but just click there and send us an email. I promise we read those all day long. So we can't reply to all of them, but often we do. So if you if we don't reply, that doesn't mean it wasn't read. I just in the nature of things. I probably only reply to one out of 20 of the one just because and I, I wish I could, but it's, you know, if you reply to every single one, it, it's just too much. The other key is I get those emails, but every member of the TPM staff is on that email, you know, distribution list. So if I don't see it, someone else will see it. We definitely want your tips and it doesn't have to be something earth shattering. Like I said, a lot of times, just a new ad, new anything. If you think we should know, let us know. The actual email address is talk at talkingpointsmemo.com. Again, talk at talkingpointsmemo.com. But you can find links to it around the site. And again, it's up It's up uh, in the header of the site. And I think the actual link says something, something like uh, tips and comments or something like that. Send us emails. Uh, we may also do this form because, again, maybe we're too, maybe we're, we're still too stuck in, you know, kind of 2002 technology, but we're already set to get your tips and we definitely want them. Next question. Hello, this is Wonder from Michigan. Um, with the Supreme Court justice vote coming up in the Senate, I'm wondering how long the alliance between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump will last. Given McConnell's thirst for power and Trump's increasing drag due to the tariff issue, the immigration, Russia, um, his incredible gap between women voters who approve of him and disapprove of him. Um, that's all. Bye. It's a good question. I, I think the answer is it is never going to end. Um, and this is why. I think a lot of people thought, and a lot of us thought for a long time, that Republicans saw Donald Trump as someone who got power and they're going to use the fact that he has power to kind of get all the, you know, to to get everything they can from their wish list. And once their wish list is done, then maybe he's in trouble because they don't need him anymore. Clearly, they are using him for that. There's no question. But that is not really the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is that their supporters are diehard supporters of Donald Trump. So they are, it, it's not, you know, people kind of see it as well, they're hypocrites or they're betraying their country by, you know, using, using Donald Trump, who clearly should never be president, never have been president, shouldn't be president, shouldn't be given such a long leash and so forth to get their tax cuts and their deregulation and all that stuff. Again, sure, they're using him to get the tax cuts and all that stuff, but they cannot turn on him. They simply can't. And I don't see that is something that's going to change. Do you think that holds true even if Democrats take the House? I mean, you know, setting aside the Senate, but it actually becomes more the case yeah, if they take the House. Yeah. Because it's a solidarity with, sort of thing? Well, the it's, hardest no, core it's people. The hardest right. core people, the marginal people will be gone and you'll have just the diehards of the diehards left. Yeah. It, well, it, it, exactly. And, and, and the key point is that to the, you know, w people wonder like, okay, sure, the sort of the hardcore people like him, but what about everybody else? I think the point is anybody who's if if the 2018 midterm is what we expect, who knows it's, if it's a tsunami, but Democrats take the House and it's a good year for them and so forth. 
anybody who survives, any Republican who survives is going to look at that and say, I am indestructible. I am indestructible. I will never be defeated for supporting Trump because look what just happened. So yeah, I think it'll get more intense. The The one thing I would add there is, um, I'm spacing on the guy's name, the uh, Mark Sanford from South Carolina. You know, Mark Sanford, uh, very conservative guy, even sort of a man after, you know, after President Trump's heart out, you know, hiking the, hike the Appalachian Trail, Trail right? <laughs> And he just criticized Trump a few too many times, and he's gone. So you wonder about, like, you know, when are they going to – basically never. If people want – elected officials want to stay in office, and it is simple as that. So I suspect the answer is it will never end unless, you know, we have dramatic and earth-shattering new – information that just radically changes the game. But again, right now, Donald Trump, over the last year and a half, has had anywhere from low 80s to high 90s support among Republicans. So if and when, and I suspect it will never happen, that number gets down to 50%, then you're in a different game. But any anywhere near where it is right now, I just think it's forever. All right, we've got a couple more questions left. Hi, this is Matt in Utah. Following up on your answer to a question last week about being both an institutionalist and believing in one person, one vote, uh, pardon the pun, but I kind of feel like the way to trump all of that is to go to the Constitution. I think that is the undergirding authority in our uh, our government. And I'm wondering if there's a way to try to solidify one person, one vote that could also dovetail uh, with voter restriction, rollbacks, and also... Uh, helping with the gerrymandering problem in this country. I think if that could be approached in a bipartisan way, uh, it could really do good and uh, for the country in a nonpartisan way, but also undo a lot of the bad that the Republican Party has been working on for 30 to 40 years. Wondering what your thoughts are on this and if anybody is really approaching it from that perspective. Thanks. I would say I agree, but the key thing is that to the extent that right now we are dealing with a situation with gerrymandering or a voter restriction or all these different kind of things, it's because Republicans want those things. And that that's the that's the main reason. But there's also basically a standoff between the two parties. I mean, when it's a good situation, it's a standoff. So Yeah, there's no bipartisan basis for proceeding yeah, on this front. Yeah. And in fact, I think the nomination of the new Supreme Court justice, whoever it's been at this point, assuming Kavanaugh gets confirmed, I mean, you're just looking at a Supreme Court that is more likely rather than less to ratify restrictions and to impose new restrictions, or at least to grant that new restrictions aren't constitutional violations. So we're actually going in exactly the opposite direction of some kind of bipartisan consensus around enshrining voting rights in a more clear way, legally, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, and I guess the main point I would say is that if you are going to any 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 consensus that you're going to get to ch- I, what I understood you to say was basically change the constitution to kind of put these things in the constitution more clearly any any consensus any constituency that you are going to to use to do that you just use it to not have the problem in the first place so it, I agree with you that is the ideal thing but in practice the same reasons that are Making that so hard in the normal political process will make it all but impossible in the constitutional revision process because you need 
at, at least super majorities to, to whether you do it states or in Congress or whatever. All right, last question. Hey, Josh, this is Mark in Tonawanda, New York, here outside of Buffalo on the other side of the state. I'd like to know your opinion of the prospects for a constitutional convention at the national level uh, in the near future. It is my understanding that a certain level of states have approved having such a convention. I think some of us on the left are becoming uh, convinced that the form of government we have now can never really provide economic uh, rights or real uh, protection of the citizenry. And so I think some of us would like to perhaps have a constitutional convention and have uh, the ERA written into the Constitution and Economic Rights Amendment and so forth. Uh, and then others of us, like me, think that as long as there are Republicans involved, it will be a disaster and we'll probably have an anti-abortion amendment and so on. So uh, what do you think the actual odds are of having this convention or being forced to have this convention? And if it occurred, uh, what do you think would be the likely outcomes? Thanks very much. Go Sabres. Okay, so I'm I'm on the same wavelength you are in in saying that I think it would be an unmitigated disaster, and I really hope it doesn't happen. I I I don't know the exact details on this. I know there's one of these things where I guess it's th- uh, what three quarters of the I I should <laughs> I should know this, but basically that we're pretty close to the number of states that would you know need to, to like basically sign on to having a convention. I don't know two more states or something like, kind of scary. Um, I, I just just my gut tells me those things tend not to happen. Um, plus, there's also the issue of sometimes when sometimes in these cases, it's always a little ambiguous in the Constitution. Like, do they have to have done it in some like in the last couple of years? Or is, it, is it still count if if it was if, a decade ago or 100 years it, yeah. ago or something like that? I suspect it won't happen. I really hope it won't happen because, believe me, the ERA ain't going to be in the new in the new Constitution. I guarantee you that. Um I think two two things. I am just a very much a small C conservative when it just comes to constitution in general. It's not that it's you know it it it's not that it's like a, a revealed document and and certain things couldn't be better. But I'm just in that camp of things could be worse. Yeah, and we've had this system for a long time, and it's again there's just a a certain resistance to change that I have. But the the, the so that is a you know that is a a kind of a a characterological impulse that maybe I'm right maybe I'm wrong, but on the second point I'm definitely right, which is that you reopen the Constitution now. A I do not see how you will get consensus for any document, and I think it is highly highly likely that you would end up codifying all sorts of things that liberals and progressives and everybody sort of from the 50-yard line to the left of American politics would think is a disaster. So I really, really, really hope it does not happen because it will not be your unicorn constitution. I guarantee you it will not. That will not happen. All right. So there we are. So that's that. that those are our questions. Thanks a bunch. I really, I really enjoy. I enjoy hearing from you. I enjoy just getting a sense of what you're thinking about. Again, the number is six four six eight six eight eight three nine three. Voicemail box. Give us a call. And when you do, tell us your first name, where you're from. Leave us a concise message because, as you just heard, we we play the message and uh, look forward to hearing from you.
Okay, so so we are here. We are. We have we have David Kurtz here, and and we thought we would do sort of a group episode. So David, a few you know we can talk about some about the history of the site and the function of the site, and also uh, the news we're seeing today because this we're we're taping this uh, like around noon on Tuesday, and you've got, you've got like a bunch of kind of wild stuff. You've got we're still in the sort of the the aftermath of of President Trump uh, nominating Brett Kavanaugh um, to the Supreme Court, and among other things, he brings in sort of all the kind of the crazy '90s Star Report stuff. We also had uh, President Trump just pardoned not the Bundys, but these other dudes who like inspired that, where they took over that that uh, Oregon wildlife Oregon refuge. wildlife refuge, which it's it, it i i find I, I find that one much more disturbing than i found like the dinesh d'souza because dinesh the dinesh d'souza thing's gross but like he doesn't well, have a constituency yeah whatever right. i mean i'm not expecting there's going to be a lot of like middle-aged dudes like you know using their mistresses <laughs> as straw donors right. I, I think we've got a handle on that um but the hammonds the, the ranchers who were pardoned are kind of have come to represent uh, a certain anti-government extremism. The, they themselves don't necessarily occupy quite the fringe on that, but they have become a symbol for those who right. do. So, so they weren't actually involved in this. They were. They were. It, it was their land was adjacent to the refuge. As they I were recall. the ones with the beef, right? That, that brought the Bundys and everything. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, well, it wasn't even intentional. It wasn't even intentional. <laughs> but yes, they wanted to. I think run some of their cattle across right. land that was refuge land or in the vicinity of the refuge and there was right. an arson that they were ultimately convicted of um, and it wasn't the bundys have actually got was it a mistrial or they were actually acquitted uh i can't remember i think it was it was acquittal i think a in mix. some of the key uh, a mix yeah. but yeah like basically I, I think that is seen amongst bundy and their supporters as an unmitigated victory now yeah well i mean it kind of it, it sort kind of is, is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and so yeah, the folks out west have a have a bit of a problem following the law <laughs> I mean, I, I know. Uh, well, you're the California guy here. Yeah, well, California, we we that there we California like is a law-abiding state, but you know you I the mean, Inner I, Mountain West. Maybe yeah, the Inner Mountain it. West. It is a it's a whole it's a whole water scarcity region of the, of uh, a culture of you know intergenerational criminality and just goes one generation to the next. All right. Anyway, so so David, let's we let, can edit this right. That's yeah. Probably, yeah, that's right. So. Tell us how you became involved with TPM. So this is this is one of those right place, right times, couldn't do it again, probably kind of things where, you know, the site. I mean, there's there's just these various phases in the history of the site, right? And you, as solo blogger guy from 2000 to about what 2004, 2005, yeah, was mid five. Yeah, was yeah. The, kind of that first phase. Mm-hmm. And around mid five is when I first came across the site. A friend kept sending me your stuff and. Uh, and that was right around the time you decided to take it from a, a solo blog into right. something that would resemble a news site. And right. um, and you hired the first of the muckrakers, I believe, in 05, uh, Paul Keel and Justin Rood. And um, and they called me soon after, you know, because I was, I was a tipster. I was a lawyer practicing in Missouri and would send in tips. And so I remember them calling me up and, you know, we're having chats about various scandals because it was kind right. of the, the whole idea at the time, right, in the middle of the aughts was just this – 
profusion of political scandal and public right. corruption, right, right? around right. this longstanding Republican Hill, majority. Yeah, you know, the yeah, Abramoff yeah. scandal, Duke Cunningham. It wasn't just Republicans, mostly Republicans. William Jefferson comes to mind. The he was like the cold, to- hard the cash token, in his freezer. The token you know, Democrat right, of like right. mid-aughts corruption. But it was largely around delay and Abramoff and that kind of institutional um, sclerotic Republican majority that just was uh, untrammeled until... Um, prosecutors started getting interested and then big, the big deal, and I think this gets overlooked, was Democrats winning the House in 06 and give, getting, in the Senate rather, getting both and, and having uh, subpoena power. That was huge. Right. And that really, right. several of those big stories really took off after that, including for us, the U.S. attorney scandal. Right. Um, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't forget about the Duke Cunningham scandal, which was, I think, an early 04. Five. I believe I'm that's pretty right. sure it, it started in 05. And I remember, tell listeners what you were doing at the time and like like sure. what you're doing geographically where you sure. were. Yeah, so I was practicing law in Missouri. And, uh, and then at some point, um, I think Josh was just not able to get away very much. It was a 24-7 gig and um, invited me to, to do some weekend blogging. And that sounded like fun. So I started doing that, and uh, and then it just kind of morphed from there, and and this became much more fun than practicing law. Right, and so, right. uh, so by '06 '07, left practice of law, um, became managing editor for TPM from Missouri. And I think that was in in I think late '07. Yeah, middle of '07, summer of '07. Because I remember I, I it's possible my my recollection is off. My recollection is that the first time that you sort of were full time as you 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 were you were already doing kind of you had a kind of a part time involvement and then I actually had jury duty was it jury duty I, I think that I could, that could be right or it was actually it may have maybe it was when my dad passed away there was a period when you when you kind of were full time for a couple weeks um, it may have been, it, I don't know, jury, whatever. I mean, you know. Had you guys met at this point when you no, saw we, no, didn't, we, were we, way, didn't meet, we didn't meet in person until... It was actually, I just realized this morning as we were preparing for this, that it was 10 years ago, like this week. Wow. Um, really? It was in 2008? It was in 2008. I don't know if you remember, but we, we won that, um, yeah, that International th- Press yeah, right. Freedom Award. Right, 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 right. And so I flew... Which is still over there. Yeah. It's still over like on the, on the, on the, sh- wall, on the shelf on the desk, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I flew to Belgrade to pick that up. Right, and right, right. And then I right. flew... Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flew yeah. through New York on we the way back. We were a big deal when the U.S. Attorney's <laughs> thing happened. Yeah. Flew back through New York right. and uh, met you for the first yep. time, met the yep. staff. At that point, the staff thought it was pretty much just your alter ego. There was, yeah. a, there was a suspicion that I might not actually exist. Yeah. 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 Well, because I, I think I remember that, at least for the first couple of years, that I had only – I mean, we we communicated – at the time, we may have used, like, AIM. I'm not even sure we used I think Skype. Skype. Pre-Skype days? No, it was, it it was, was probably Skype. Yeah, Skype. Yeah. Skype was rel- relatively early. Um, but we had only talked on the phone, a, you know, a couple times. Uh, yeah, so that was right, 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 right. So, and at that point, I'd been with TPM for full time, at least a year and a half. Yeah, but hadn't a significant met period of any time. of yeah. the staff, and, and that was in the old the old office up on. Yeah, up in I the just walked, I walked by. It, yeah, I walked by it this morning on the way on the way in, and it's it's yeah, the McDonald's down the down the street is still there, and mm-hmm. the flower shop below, and yep. yeah, the whole yep. it's still yep. just a little walk up, right? Like, yep. a, like oh yeah, a, no, it was a, it was a live work. Like a little, like basically a live work, one bedroom, not even one bedroom, sort like of like a studio a lo- yeah, apartment. Yeah. Um, and that was the first TPM office. And we had, 
we had a ton of people in that. Right. But we were spread <laughs> and, out, too. We had me in Missouri. We had Greg right. Sargent in Connecticut. And we right. usually had at least one or two people in D.C., but no brick-and-mortar office right. there. Right. So we Until were, 2009, right. which was which right. was significant. And that yeah. was kind of the next big stage, yeah. was when right. I moved from Missouri to D.C. in 2009. I, I, remember, I remember seeing the New York Times story. This was when I was in college, I think talking points memo hey don't don't turn the knife <laughs> plots now. expansion or something it was when i think the site might have gotten a little yeah there infusion was a- of capital and you guys were going to open the dc office and th- at the time i was looking at regional newspapers not doing super well and i thought huh, maybe that's a place i want to it's interesting try I, to come I, on to there was a there was a there was a new york times story about the site uh i th- it, it was after we won the polk award for the u.s attorney stuff but that was like that was in 2007, so there may have been like another, like another one, a little bit later. Because that was we, um, the the site, uh, we did like a kind of like a, a very small round of outside investment in 2009, right. um, and that's how we were able to expand to a New York office and kind of expand in 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 various ways. Um, yeah, yeah, and then you started here originally. In I was an 10? intern in August 2010. August yeah. 2010. All right, and then so were you, and then you were here for about three years. Yep, and then you left. Took a few years off. Yeah, and came back yeah. like a sabbatical. From <laughs> yeah, TV. exactly. Yeah. All right, so let so so let's talk about. So we have we have the Russia story, which is sort of like the all-consuming thing, um, and there there are that just come and go. We have you know the. The Bundy stuff is back is 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 back now. Uh, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination is going to bring it, you know, kind of bring back in a lot of the stuff from the Star Star investigation in the nineties. The family so, separation crisis is still I, being unwound. Well, very what is this that, that, that they? I saw I saw our headline this morning that basically said that the DOJ sort of like in response to the judge saying we're not going to extend the deadline. The DOJ basically threatening, like, well, that we may have to separate more families or something. What exactly happened? Or what well, did so, they say? Uh, I've been in meetings most of the morning, so I'm a little behind. But the but the decision last night in the Flores case, which is the big settlement that sort of has governed, governs all of this, right, right governs right, right. how families are to be handled. The judge in that case said that that basically reiterated that you can't hold them for the children for longer than twenty days. And now, is that the same judge from like twenty years ago, or is it just like the judge that I currently kind of runs that I can't that remember settlement. if she was involved from the get go, but she's been involved for, for a, a long while time. Now. Yeah, and and I think the Justice Department's response to that was okay, fine. Then we'll we'll at some level have to separate the children from the incarcerated families as the next step. Because once um, that 20 days is done... Then that ruling will bind them to not do that. I, I think we'll see another round of litigation over whether that right. is the the only legal answer to that right. conundrum. And, you know, there's separate humanitarian questions, but I, I think this is all geared up to be litigated to the teeth. So when, he, when, when Trump had that executive order, which I guess now is maybe a couple weeks ago, that... It basically set this up. Right. right. They, they basically said, okay, there's that law, but we're just going to go ask not to have that law. Right. And everybody's like, yeah, good luck, dude. <laughs> right. like the, and the judge came through saying, yeah, not Yeah, happening. good luck. Yeah, right. not not happening. All right. So how do you and, – and just for our, for our listeners, um, like I said, David Kurtz is the managing editor. So David Kurtz is the one who runs – the, the the whole editorial team I and mean, it kind of it 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 from the outside it may sound like well 
editorial, like what else is there? Well, there, there's other there's other moving parts in the organization, but David Kurtz does that, and David Tainter is runs what we call the the newswriter breaking news team. So these are kind of two structural parts of what we do. Even even in a, a very small organization, we're uh, low twenties in the headcount of 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 the whole organization. But it's always a challenge as a small organization with a, a small staff, how you, with something like the Russia story, you know, we maybe have like a hundredth of the reporters of the New York, like literally a hundredth of the reporters, maybe even not a hundredth. Um, I mean, they have, I don't know what the time is. About like 1,200 journalists. Yeah, like 1,200 journalists. And we have, depending on who you count as as reporter, editor, you know, we have... At at the at the most extreme count, maybe fifteen. Um, so, how do you how do we approach like something like the Russia story? Where do we start? Like, where do we? How do we use our limited resources efficiently to, you know, bring to add to the mix of people's understanding of something like the Russia story? Yeah, it's a it's a daily challenge, and and I think the one. Saving grace is that we don't have to be comprehensive so that we can we can pick and choose which of the things on a given day or in a given week we really focus the resources on. But on something like the Russia story, which we've committed to now over the course of several months and which we anticipate committing to over many more months, there is an obligation, a kind of an implied promise to readers that we're going to narrate this story for mm-hmm. you and so that you'll understand it in the particular granular details on a day-to-day basis, but then we'll continue to find ways both uh, in our reporting as well as, as you and the blog of, of telling that story right. in sort of its, in all of its grand detail and, and historical sweep and, and continue to do that sort of unwaveringly now for, for many months and, and ongoing, but it's tough. I mean, we've got, I mean, the, the big thing that's keeping me up at night is this upcoming Manafort trial in Virginia um, later this month, if it holds, and, and it's been, the Manafort's asked for it to be moved, both as to venue and pushed back on the calendar. But there are particular challenges logistically in that case that are just almost overwhelming for us. That The courthouse does not allow any electronic equipment even in the building. So when you go down there for a hearing now, and this is this is kind of inside scoop here. You you ditch your phone at a deli across the street and pay them four dollars to hold it for you. You go into <laughs> the like, courthouse through right. security without any electronics, take notes the old fashioned way, then go back out, retrieve your phone along with all the other reporters in line to get their phones back. So even like the New York Times reporters, they're yeah, they're kind of in the same. Yeah, everybody's okay. in the same boat. And sometimes the the big outfits. Yeah. Well, have they, us have so a the the TV the TV outlets have you know camera crews stationed outside the courthouse, so they just leave so all they their can stuff hold in a pile right. okay. the, at the truck or what have you. Right. Okay. So they have a little advantage there. And, and the just, news outlets. And this is when people talk about the, people know there's a there's there's a DC trial for him right. and a Virginia and a Eastern Virginia. This is the Virginia. This trial is in Alexandria, okay. which is where the courthouse is for the Eastern District of Virginia. And uh, and even though that is. Only a few miles. I mean, from it's our suburban D.C. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it's as light like years 19th away. century. Yeah, and and news outlets asked for some leniency, cover this trial, allow some electronics in, open up a media overflow room, open up a workspace within the courthouse. But the judge has declined those requests and urged everyone to get hotel rooms nearby, <laughs> which is what we are doing too to set up an yeah, no, office. No big deal. Just and, rent right. a hotel for <laughs> so, right. weeks. So, so basically, we're getting a hotel. Not no one's going to like Not be sleeping sleep there. in there. <laughs> right. It's basically just to have like a, a place a, to a ditch our stuff office. and right. then and then have ready Wi-Fi to go back to when uh, when you come out. So right, um, right, right. Yeah, it's it's a real challenge and 
because you're not able to cover it in real time, if you just have one person there, as we would typically do, then they're just kind of stuck because if they leave to report anything, then they're going to miss what's happening. So we're right. going to have two people there right, right, kind of right. rotating in and out so we don't miss anything, which again, for a site our size is like is it cutting off an arm. Is it, the, is it the kind of thing where if if Tierney comes out, can can is it? Is, we'll have both Tierney, in, and then okay. like one will come out, but the other has to stay in until they tag out with the with the returning person, right? Okay. So we just but, but they can go because sometimes you're in this case in these cases right, where, where you once you leave, trade you're out. done. Yeah, I don't think you can't go back in. There's going to be I think windows where you can't go back in. You right, need okay. to do it with with a break or between witnesses. I think the judge is not going to allow just like a stampede of reporters right. coming and going. So that'll that'll complicate it too. You know, and it, and, and just so people get a sense. It can't be more than five or six miles between our office and where this courthouse is. Maybe, That's right. Okay, right. ten so, at most. Right. So why, why, why do you need a hotel? I mean, this isn't just my me like the <laughs> with the budget, <laughs> right. but but right. but give us a sec because I want to I want to give people a sense of the of the practicalities that get involved in these cases that sure. that you just don't think about when you're when you're reading sure. the stories. So, so, so why can't they just come back to the office? Right. So what we anticipate is that, let's just give a uh, sort of hypothetical here that we anticipate that Rick Gates, Manafort's former business partner who is now sort of cooperating with the feds will kind of be a key witness in this, right? And so we would imagine that the cross-examination of Rick Gates by Manafort's attorney will be big news. And there may be kind of big news that evolves in the middle of that cross-examination that one of the reporters needs to be able to come out and report about and get in front of readers. So they'll come out <laughs> across the street to get their phone with maybe 10 or 12 other reporters doing the same thing, wait in line, then go find a coffee shop where right. there's Wi-Fi. And so you, and but coming back to the office would take That, that would be like minutes. an hour yeah, even yeah. to get, right. So, so right. basically the point is that, that Something so, happens. We want that thing. We want that whatever happened to. Be, we want to be telling you the readers within right. ten or fifteen minutes. Right. I mean, or in, in an ideal world, we tell you within two or three minutes. Right, but, but certainly in but a normal like, courthouse, well, not a normal, but in the D.C. federal courthouse, for instance. Right. All the federal uh, courthouses have different rules and guidelines on these. But things, the logistics so. are such that, that, like, if you're like, you know, Rick Gates said, well, this was the time that. Vladimir Putin and, and Paul Manafort went to Odessa for a weekend together, <laughs> and 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 like our, our our reporters is on is in the DC metro like you know right, right. on the red line under the, the under the under right. the Potomac or is it uh, yeah. do you go under right. the Potomac? It's over to the Potomac. Yeah, I it's over. It's, well, it p- depends on which of the lines you're using. Is coming there back, is but. there something about this judge in particular who you know is he? Well, like, isn't this the one who keeps like kind of basically having these dicta saying bit, like yeah. oh I think this whole this whole thing is crap basically. What is the story with this guy? I mean I. What's what's going so on? These, um, I, for, first off, it's not unique to this judge in this courthouse. This is the courthouse rules. It's how it's always operated. Beat reporters down there have been dealing with this for years. Um, I think this is probably the judge who would be least likely to relax the rules in in light of how uh, high he, profile. He's trial. rather old, isn't he? He's, he's like he, in his eighties or, or maybe I'm late seventies. Sure, yeah, he's on the older side, I and mean, they've had a lot of major trials. I mean, this is where most of the like the Bush era terrorism cases came through the Eastern District of Virginia. So they're used to big. Is this the one they call I the rocket? I think Musawi was is there. That, is that? Yeah, is that, it, it does go pretty okay. quick. Yeah, and there's a lot of expertise in the U.S. Attorney's Office there on terrorism, national security cases. Um, you know, the Pentagon's obviously in that um, in that district. Um, so yeah, he's. Um, I, I I hesitate to use the word prima donna, but 
judges who have been on the bench for a long time can uh, develop a throw their robes around a little bit I, I think i think they feel a little extra freedom and he's he's definitely uh mouthed off a bit right. on the prosecution on the appropriateness of of trying to flip someone like manafort he's identified that publicly as the right. reason they're going after manafort clearly they want trump and they're hoping to use manafort to get to a Trump, and he finds that distasteful, and has said so, and at least one order issued in the case. But a, but a judge, a federal judge, has to see that every single day, every single day, in almost every criminal conspiracy case that comes before them. I and mean, I mean that because I mean, look, there is an argument. Like, like, is it really just for person X to be to have prosecutors come at them much, much harder? than they normally would because you're trying to do but that's just that is that's that's the federal system yeah especially in the federal yeah yeah, well i mean in both really both yeah yeah, Yeah, i mean i don't think there's any particular federal reason other than you know you've got more complicated cases perhaps in some of these um but yeah this is this is what you would expect that he's been exposed to in every drug case drug conspiracy case um in some of the national security and certainly in white collar cases where you've got big fish and little fish and they're kind of working their way up the chain you know how much i mean there's there's a lot of white collar stuff in every jurisdiction but is is there relatively less there because there's a lot of national security stuff in that i wouldn't i wouldn't expect i mean perhaps slightly less because it's not a major uh, like financial, financial services yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. but you've got defense contracts right you've got you know, all sorts of government contracts in that district that would, you know, give rise to false claims and, and those kind of cases. I'm right. not super familiar outside of the national security context now, what Eastern District of Virginia is heavy with, but I wouldn't I wouldn't think a white collar case is like rare foreign. or something yeah. like that. Now I notice I think he's a Reagan appointee, but there's a lot of Reagan appointees. Yeah. That's a long time ago. He doesn't have am I right that he does not have a reputation of like, okay, this guy's like a a really political dude or no, something like that. Not, He's not got, that you know, a, kind of just a... Maybe a little, you know, uh, eccentric, you know. Okay. Um, so it's more kind of... And, and yeah. to be clear, I mean, the the Eastern District of Virginia is known as a fairly, you know, pro-prosecution district. I mean, the reason that they were funneling terrorism cases to Eastern District wasn't because they thought that, that juries there were going to find j- terrorists sympathetic, right? right? It was because they right. thought they'd get prosecutions there. So... Um, well, so I think too, sense, like if you know the if you know the political geography of DC, like all the Republicans live in Northern right, Virginia, right. so that's like <laughs> right. where you want to probably that's where right. you want to run your that's trials. Right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So, so you wouldn't expect a judge in that district to be slamming, uh, especially someone like Mueller, right? Who's who does you know? We're not talking about just like run of the mill assistant U.S. attorney. Yeah, here. we're talking yeah, about yeah. former FBI director, former federal judge himself, right? Um, if I've got that right, um, was he? I, th- I think that's yeah, right. That sounds right. I think I that's right. Lose track now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting case. The DC case is set for September, um, and they've asked now for the Virginia case to be Manafort has asked for the Virginia case to be pushed back till after, which makes a lot more sense. The Virginia case came started later, um, but it was it was going to go to trial sooner. Um, but we'll just, we don't know. The judge has indicated he's not inclined to move it. So we'll, we'll So what is the current see. schedule? Like current, when, when... current schedule is Virginia case against Manafort goes late July and um, the D.C. case goes September, mid-September. Is there anything about the, the different cases that there's a logic that one would go first? Like, no. It's just, no. They're just uh, other separate than the, cases. The and... only thing that would make sense is that because the D.C. case started first, they filed there first. And then Manafort has refused to waive venue, and some of the some of the charges that are in Virginia, he, 
Mueller does not have venue in D.C. for, meaning he can't try him in D.C. So that's why it's been split. It doesn't make sense to me why Manafort is incurring the expense of having kind of both things going on at once. I haven't been able to figure that out. Well, isn't the idea that that a D.C. that a D.C. jury is, I mean, Republicans use this a lot as sort of an excuse, but it's a very democratic city. It is. And so if you're like Trump's boy, that's probably not, not yeah, Yeah. that's probably not great. Um, On the other hand, you know, if you paint yourself as a criminal defendant to those juries who's being, you know, unfairly attacked by this out of control rogue prosecutor, things which actually Mueller's already filed with the court to try to keep them from arguing um, in, in trial. Then you you know you could you could see a way to come at it in with those jurors too. But I know you know Manafort is while he has made a lot of money in the work that he's done, a lot of those assets have been frozen. And the- well, isn't there isn't there a thing? I remember it, someone was explaining this to me that um, it it's not just that like it, it's not simply if if assets have truly been frozen or if you've lost them, but if I'm your attorney and I know that is compromised money. I can't take it. Oh, absolutely. So you may have it. You can go out to lunch with it or buy a plane, but you can't pay your lawyer with it. If the lawyer, it's funny. Some someone was I can't remember who it was was explaining this to me that uh, some defense attorney friend that paradoxically, if you are if you're a defense attorney in a big drug case, I can't remember exactly why this was, but the attorney doesn't need to know about your drug business. It doesn't want to know about your drug business. That's just not how you approach those cases. Um, whereas in a in a more traditional white-collar crime, the attorney has to know the details to be able to defend you, to make arguments. So you frequently... So, like, if you're an attorney who wants to make a lot of money getting crooks, you know, off, you want the drug cases. Because there, you can take whatever money because you just don't know. And I, I guess there, there's a whole way of, of what the rules there are. Right. But basically... It gets complicated. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't, like, I don't know if it's drug money. I just thought he's rich, you know. Whereas in a case like this, in the nature of white-collar defense, you've got to know the details. And you end up knowing that the money they want to pay you with maybe ill-gotten gains is ill-gotten or, gains you know or should know or ill-gotten exactly gains. exactly exactly so you have that kind of problem so what else okay so what else now are we looking at on the russia front and and, and i mean this not just substantively but as reporters and editors like how right. we kind of look at it so there's two there's two main things right now one is are we going to get a report from Mueller this summer on his obstruction of justice inquiry, which is focused, I think, very much on Trump, the firing of James Comey, um, the desire to fire uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general, and all of the post-inauguration um, sort of backlash that Trump orchestrated and led against the Mueller investigation. And, and we just don't know. You know, there's there's been reporting that, um, that they want to get that out of the way. They want to get that report up. There's ongoing off and on again negotiations over whether they'll get a chance to interview Trump as part of that. But it's still very murky what that's going to look like and when it would come, um, especially with the Manafort trial, you know, set for end of July. And the, the idea is that there's the obstruction part, that's one report, and then any collusion kind of conclusions, con- collusion conclusions would be uh, a separate thing that would come later, I guess, right? I, yeah, or prosecutions. I think the idea is that, you know, there, there will be prosecutions. I mean, the implication has been there will be prosecutions of that underlying conduct. But be, but it's 
because you don't have the constitutional issue right. of indicting the president and whatnot, they're going to treat that sort of separately. Right. Um, Wasn't there reporting a few months ago? And this this is the problem with reporting is that you're you're it's always what is that uh, that uh, story from India or whether it's a proverb you know the blind man and the elephant right, or right, whether, right, right. I don't know if it's an elephant or whatever um, you never know whether what you're what you're getting in reporting is usually accurate as far as it goes but it's maybe just a a small part of the story and not really the full picture but in any case there was reporting um, maybe in the spring that. There was going to be the do the obstruction report and then kind of rolling reports going going forward, and so it it seems like walk us through. There's, I guess they at least want to speak to the president before that report, and then there's also the election. So how do those how do those two things fit into what we think is the schedule and when these things could happen? Right. It's it's not clear how much. Mueller feels like the upcoming election is a is kind of a cap on how late he can go into the year, in part because Justice Department guidelines around this are they're not kind of as hard and fast as people have talked about. I mean, and this is obviously an ongoing public investigation. It's not like you're taking investigative Dropping steps. Dropping something out of the yeah, blue. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it'd be one thing if you just out of the blue, indicted a week before the election. But we're talking about things that have been ongoing now for month, for many months. I think that changes the calculus a bit. Yeah. But I think he's also mindful of sort of the optics of it. So I've kind of seen Labor Day as kind of a drop-dead date just for our own planning. Right, um, right. But I also think that the, sort of the, the reports passed, that obstruction report, are going to depend largely on whether there's prosecutions to be had there or not. They're not going to be dropping reports on things that they're planning to prosecute. So whether that's additional Russia meddling, whether that's anything related to Flynn and Turkey, whether that's anything related to UAE, Saudi, Qatar stuff, which is, I think, the latest, the most recent right. uh, sort of uh, tangent that the investigation has gone down that I'm still very interested about and curious because that that's all much more um, unknown in many right. ways. Um, and, and later, right, it, it, a lot of that is post-inauguration. So, so that's the, those two things. And then the third thing that we're keeping an eye on is this case against the Russian troll company, several, right. you know, and individuals in Russia, which we thought would be just kind of a nothing case. It was almost a perfunctory. We're, we're going to indict these people. We'll never Since get them extradited. Yeah. And it'll just, we'll have, we'll have made clear that there was meddling. I think that was the key thing, that we can't proceed with an obstruction report without making it clear that there was an underlying bad act to be obstructed. And right? part of that is because Mueller, the way that he... The only way he can really communicate, right, is through sort of indictments or filings, right? He can't just sort of put out a well, he press could, release but I kind think, of thing. I think he's, he's opted not to, which right. I think is, has been a smart strategic move. And I think that's off, all from having seen how it happened with the Star investigation right. and kind of learning the lessons of that. But one of those Russian company defendants has decided to engage and has hired U.S. attorneys and are now defending that case. And it's thrown, I think, a bit of a wrench in what I, I'm guessing. But from the outside, it looks like that's thrown a bit of a wrench in what Mueller was expecting. And so now they've had to litigate just basic issues like, do we provide discovery to a company that's run by a Putin crony? And right. are they going to obtain classified or sensitive information from through the course of discovery just about what we know about right. their Meddling, what we know about the social media, um, and when I say we, I mean the Mueller probe knows about the social media efforts that were undertaken during the election, which are things that they would probably rather uh, Soviet or Russian yeah. intelligence not know about. So let me ask you this. So 
is the idea or would the expectation have been like, okay, we indicted them, but that indictment just sort of sits on a shelf until unless and until they show up, which obviously That's they're never going to do. So they never really thought that there would be a litigation based on this indictment, or at least that's our assumption. I, that's our assumption. And so, what is because I because I have wondered about this a lot. You would certainly think that there's that it's just common sense that you can't. We're not even going to talk until you show up. Brother, you know, I mean, right. you can't, you can't be over there like in Russia right. and 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 using. So, and and that's the argument. That but the how argument. is that? But it but the doesn't company sound like has it's that entered its appearance it, and and or has subjected itself to the jurisdiction of the court. So as to this one, but that's defendant, the company. That's right, but not the individual. Uh, controlling figure right behind the company. And so I don't remember the exact details that the judge has come up with because it's really complicated. But the basic outline is only the U.S. attorneys for the company can retain this information. They can't deliver it overseas. And there is a what they're calling firewall counsel for the Justice Department who's not associated with the prosecution who can represent the government's interests in its national security secrets. Separate from the interests of the prosecution. Separate from the interests of the prosecution. Okay, interesting. And so if they want to, if the defense wants to provide any of this discovery to third parties, then the firewall counsel gets to object to the judge and protect whatever U.S. government interests may be at stake. So the judge has a chance to hear that argument before lawyers give it to uh, a third party expert uh, or to who may be like yeah GRU uh, or whatever right, right right and so okay so I didn't so I didn't get this so so w- w- their angle is you know Boris whoever he is in, in in Russia is not coming but they are saying okay cool we're gonna this company so the company which obviously is a legal person yep. has submitted itself that's right it, it, even though obviously who cares about a company right you could just companies meaningless but that's their angle that's their they've a a legal person and it seems to be kind of a trolly thing right that we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna make you jump through these hoops and maybe we get lucky and get something out of this but in the meantime you're having to devote time and resources to trying this case that you really didn't think you have to try and bringing on additional attorneys to deal with this and to make all these legal arguments about what you're going to reveal because there are constitutional requirements about revealing you know what it might be exculpatory evidence for instance you know what might uh, be evidence they're going to use against you and so and so basically the, the government is not in a position or the prosecution is not in a position to say okay fuck it we're not, like forget this thing because they can't because it's it's a predicate yeah I mean I, I've been stuff. curious if they've wanted to right, just say right well we're going to drop this but I think that would be I mean you just imagine that the would not be that, yeah right? that would not like, be good you can imagine even the president saying right. oh so there was no meddling after all right right, right they right. weren't even they weren't even now, trying to help me has yeah. has the judge seen it within is it a man or a woman a uh, woman i believe okay has the judge seen it within her purview to just kind of say dude no like i this legal like you got to show up whoever the real person is or that's or or the law just doesn't really allow that. The law doesn't really allow that. The company has submitted to the jurisdiction. Um, now, what, is th- what does that mean for the company to submit to the jurisdiction? Company's not a physical person. So does that just mean like... Lawyers it's... on behalf of the company have entered their appearance and are representing the company in the proceedings. And so they've accepted service um, on behalf of the company. I think but that doesn't even mean that like like the that, company has put its assets at correct. risk to the U.S. government. That's correct. That's correct. 
but there could be a judgment rendered ultimately. And, um, and then, you know, I think that might be more restrictive having a, this judgment, this enforceable judgment out there. Um, but I, I'm not aware of, of, uh, of any U.S. based assets that the company has. I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but I don't know. Right. So yeah, it, it's, what you're getting at is like, how meaningful is it? Like what risk is the company at for having done this? And I think the answer is not at great risk. Like very little, yeah. yeah. But it's a chance to kind of play with, right. the, with the Mueller prosecution. Right. Well, the rule of law is a bummer sometimes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, we're coming to the end of this episode. Um, I want to uh, remind you that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you and sponsored and all sorts of other uh, circumlocutions fueled, fueled by exactly. Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Uh, ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, David's. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having Josh. me. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Bye.